Sustainably Influenced, the podcast guiding you through the minefield of sustainability with your hosts Charlotte Williams and Bianca Foley. This season we are deep diving into the relationship between fashion and sustainability, discussing everything from intersectionality to tech-led innovations in the industry and what consumers can do to make a real positive impact. Today we're going to be discussing the steps after sustainability. To be sustainable is fantastic and it is something that we strive for here at Sustainably Influenced. However, the term sustainability itself is unclear. What exactly are we trying to sustain? What can we do to rebuild after the mass devastation to the planet? We need to look forward towards the future. Today we're joined by Hilmund Hoy, Vice President of PFG. Hilmund, there are a lot of claims that regenerative farming can change the fashion industry and the world. But what is it? So, I mean, for us, regenerative agriculture is uh, it's a step beyond organic. And what it really boils down to is, at least in our view, is taking all of the greatest hits from history. Because before the invention of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, I mean, farmers had to figure out ways to increase their output on their land. And so they use various different methods, various different planting methods, planting sequences. And we're just taking all of the greatest hits from them and applying them today with modern technology to make up our regenerative agriculture principles and protocols so that we reduce our reliances on the synthetic fertilizers and the chemicals that we would use today in conventional sericulture. Amazing. I mean, is there anything else kind of give us just so that we can just build a bit more of a picture about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, for us, one of the major things that we do with regenerative agriculture is intercropping and rotational cropping. And what that means is when you plant crops, each and every different crop will release and deplete various nutrients to and from the soil. And so normally what farmers would do when they plant, because we do silk, we do mulberry trees, that's our main crop, they would plant as many mulberry trees as they could into one plot of land. And if they needed X amount of nutrients, what would make sense today is, okay, I'll just go buy those nutrients, uh, those synthetic nutrients from wherever, and then I'll put it into the soil to then help the mulberry tree grow. But the issue with that is because those are not naturally present in the soil and it doesn't naturally the soil doesn't naturally make these nutrients eventually the soil will die and it will become useless it soil becomes dirt soil becomes dirt because there's not enough nutrients and uh, bacterial cultures within the soil to be suitable for anything to grow so with intercropping and rotational cropping with the various different crops depleting and releasing different nutrients what we do is we do this sort of like speed dating with our crops so we know that our mulberry trees they need particular nutrients from the soil so instead of going to buy synthetic nutrients what we do is we pick other crops that we know release those same nutrients and we plant them in between the rows of mulberry trees so that when they deplete these particular nutrients, the mulberry trees can get them. And both of these crops also deplete some of the same nutrients from the soil. And so after a little while, we will rotate those crops and that's rotational cropping. We will take the intercrop out and then put a new crop back in to then uh, replenish that particular nutrient back into the soil. And what that does is because each crop brings with it its own universe of bacteria and microorganisms that begin to thrive within the soil. These microorganisms within the soil, their main purpose is to make it easier for the crops to absorb the existing nutrients within the soil. Because if they weren't there, 
the nutrients are in a particular form that could be a little difficult for these crops to digest and to ingest. And these little microorganisms feed off of the carbon that these plants absorb from the atmosphere. And their sole purpose is to make these nutrients more available and more easily ingested and digested for the crops. And so with this, we create a biodiversity within the soil so that no matter what you plant on that land, it can and will thrive. And because they grow healthier, it helps to mitigate against agricultural illnesses, unstable weather. And so we put many little universes, many little micro ecosystems together to create a larger agro ecosystem of biodiversity and amazingness. So I don't know if that That's that, that does. Do you know what's interesting is that removing the science from it, this mm-hmm. is a very kind of basic practice in the sense that it's, it's kind of like recycling nutrients let's say Mm -hmm. but because I was speaking to someone about this a few months ago um who works in farming and they were saying like the world is over you know we haven't until we do this we're not going to be able to grow anything on our land and it I just found find it quite interesting the way we've been set up as a planet not even just countries wise now everything's so uniform Mm -hmm. so it's such a in my opinion basic obviously not the science part, but like the logistics of like, get a tree that's like feeds that tree. It's just such an easily thought out process, but we have not done it for so long in our history and our timeline of evolving that we've basically effed up the whole planet because we've just tried to be too innovative. So it's just showing that you just kind of need to go back to nature. So that's quite interesting. But then the science part, obviously, is quite deep. So. I mean, the science side of it is the bit that I'm just like, yep, I'm all here for it. But for me, it's exactly the same thing. Where I think to myself, why has nobody been doing this for however many thousands of years? Why have we just constantly been taking from the earth and not replenishing? And it's, it's as you said, Charlotte, it's thinking in the most basic form. And Hillman, you were saying you wanted to put it simply, but in itself, the whole process is really simple without mm-hmm. the science. And it's just... It's quite yeah. stuff really interesting. Yeah, no, it goes deep. Pun intended. Um, <laughs> but the question I have then, maybe our audience might be thinking this. So what's the difference then between regenerative and organic farming? Because this does sound like it would be organic in that sense, because it's like you're getting nutrients and it's trees and it's plants all together. What's the difference there? There is some overlap between organic and regenerative, yeah. but in my personal opinion, I feel like regenerative agriculture takes organic a step further, which both means that organic is a requirement for regenerative. You have to go in that direction in order to get to fully regenerative. But at the same time, while organic is sort of, it's tough to say organic today without thinking about a certification, um, especially in the fashion industry. But there are certain standards that are set for organic agriculture, whereas regenerative agriculture will add some extra bits to that that help to regenerate the land, hence the name regenerative agriculture. To put it very simply, I would say that the organic, it tries to it tries to limit the impact that what we now know as conventional agriculture does to the land, whereas regenerative will have principles in it that actively help to restore the land. Like I was talking about before, the biodiversity in the land, how if we continue to do things like monocropping or put the fertilizers, uh, the synthetic fertilizers in, the chemicals in, we would render the land useless because the chemicals what they do is they kill off the, the, the microorganisms 
within the soil. And so if those microorganisms are not there, the next crops that go in will have less of a chance to absorb and ingest the nutrients from the soil. And organic would be kind of to stop that effect, whereas regenerative would be creating a situation where you start to rebuild these microorganism cultures, rebuild these bacterial cultures to then create a more fertile soil for anything to thrive. Because as you said, there is that idea where with organic farming, people automatically think of the certification and think almost the food side of things. And they're not thinking about the other innovations and other ways Mm -hmm. that plants and everything that we're growing can be used. So you mentioned the fashion industry and bringing it back to the fashion industry. Now that we kind of understand more about regenerative farming and what regeneration is, how can that actually be applied to the fashion industry? And what can designers do to stop being part of the problem going forward? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind in order for designers to start supporting the regenerative agriculture movement is simply to source from regenerative agriculture farms or farms that are practicing this process. They can look into their supply chain and support the companies that are then supporting those farms as well. It's about transparency and traceability in the supply chain. But I think that they also need to educate themselves on what it actually is, because I'm not sure if there is a certification right now that they can rely on regarding regenerative. There is for organic, but I don't think there is one that they can say, okay, I know that this farm has this regenerative certification. I know that they're okay. So they need to educate themselves and they need to know what these principles are. They need to know what it looks like. They can also support, and I don't want to use the word target, but they can also choose from companies that are sourcing from farms or even directly from the farms that are going toward this transition, whether it is transitioning through into organic or transitioning to regenerative. It's not black and white. There's no fine line of, you know, when you are there and when you aren't there because there isn't that certification yet. There isn't that real standard yet, but I think everything counts. And if they go through and they look at the farms that are actually making the effort, they're looking at the companies that are actually making the effort to move towards there. If they can move their business to these companies, that business will help fuel their growth. And I mean, the other thing is, I think that while the brands may start to support companies that are moving toward organic and regenerative, I think another big help would be if the brands started to educate their consumer base about what regenerative agriculture is. I mean, it's, it's what you guys are doing. What you guys are doing is great. You guys are bringing the truth. You guys are bringing the issues. You're shining a light on the issues that are in the industry so that the people can actually understand and make educated decisions when they choose what product they buy. Because I think that people are going to be asking more and more questions. And in my personal opinion, I think that a majority of the consumer base are learning more and more about that particular industry just from the brands that they buy from. And it would really help if these brands started to tell the story, started to explain, you know, what regenerative agriculture is, what the issues are existing in traditional and conventional silk, because I'm a silk producer, or linen farms or cotton farms. I think that they need to educate the consumers so the consumers are better equipped to make that educated decision to help them then source from these farms and these companies that are moving toward this direction. Definitely, because education is key and in any industry especially I would say definitely more so in this industry when it comes to your consumer being educated they can spend their money in the way that they really want to and they can align themselves with brands that align with their values and their core beliefs especially when it comes to topics like sustainability or ethical fashion it's more important that these luxury brands especially give that information out to the consumer and make them aware so that they can then make that conscious decision where they want to spend 
Yeah, exactly. These guys are the market leaders, right? These guys are the market leaders in their particular niche. And if I were a consumer and I were buying from a particular group of brands, what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to form my image and knowledge and suspicion, if you would like to choose that word, on the industry based on this group of brands. And it would help if these brands would actually show what's happening behind the scenes, especially with the rise of, I mean, it's not rise, it's pretty high up there now, but with social media and the internet, the way that it is now, it's pretty easy to get a lot of that information out. And I think that there's a responsibility to then actually ensure that you're getting the right information and try and get that transparency through the supply chain all the way up to the farm level so that they can tell their consumers enough about their product where their consumers can make that educated choice. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Bombex is radically shifting traditional perceptions of the silk industry by having a new approach on how silk is produced, traded, dyed, and consumed. How can new innovations in silk productions bring about more sustainable growth in the industry? And you've kind of touched on this. For this particular question, I think I'm going to answer it from another viewpoint. I think that, obviously, we, we've talked about the sustainability of the sericulture industry. We've talked about you know some of the issues that might happen if we continue to do it in a traditional or conventional way. But the, on the flip side of things, I, mean, I think that the way that the industry is going, um, as much as from you know our brand partner's viewpoint and from the market standpoint, everybody wants more for less. Everybody wants higher quality, you know, more luxurious goods or better goods for less money. And I think it's important to keep in mind yeah. that when consumers are looking for discounts from brands and they're looking to buy only items on sale, that might start to force the brand to then ask for lower costs from their suppliers. And with the lower costs from their supplier, I mean, their, their margins will then get shrunk. And then they will then go and ask their sources for a lower cost. And that sort of cost price squeezing actually trickles all the way up to the farmers. Because for us, I mean, if our brand asks the manufacturer for a cheaper cost. The manufacturer will then ask their sources for a cheaper cost. The sources will then ask their traders for a cheaper cost. And then their traders will then ask the farmers for a cheaper cost. I mean, I think yeah. that we need to be conscious in the sense that one cent in the final FOB cost of a product might equal a couple hundred US dollars for the farmer further up the supply chain. And so what we do as the company, what we do as Bombix is we're trying to mitigate that by controlling the entire vertical supply chain. We're trying to at least get rid of the middlemen between all the different stages of productions so that we have that margin to do what we need to do in the various parts that we need to do. Whether we need to put more research and development into the industrial engineering of our processes, we need to increase our efficiencies of production, we need to increase the yield of our farmlands so that we can help our farmers make more money via variable sources of income. Because when we introduce the rotational cropping and the intercropping, they're no longer just planting one crop. They're not just selling the mulberry tree leaf, which is what silkworms eat. They're now selling things like potatoes and peanuts and soybeans. And that's the variable source of income that can increase their overall yearly income. And what we've seen is it's been proven. I was just up there in China and I saw one of my farmers build a new house. And I can't even call it a house because it is a mansion. It is four stories tall, this house. It is amazing. And it's brand new. These guys are rich now. They've made, <laughs> I think, up to like five times the amount of money they used to make since we've come into this land. It's all about us as a company trying to find ways to make more with less. So you have a plot of land with your agriculture side. You have a plot of land. And instead of trying to put as many mulberry trees into 
this land as possible and then pumping a whole bunch of chemicals and having to buy these chemicals to put into the land. We're trying to find ways where you limit your reliance on these chemicals so you don't have to spend any money on that, but you're using natural ways to increase the yield of this particular farmland. With our manufacturing plants, we're looking to increase the efficiency so that we can make more goods in the same amount of time. And obviously time is money. And so when you sort of sprinkle that into each different amount of garments, then that would be less cost. And so I think that with innovation, we have to look at it from a very holistic point of view. Yes, it's one thing to look at it from an eco-friendly or an environmentally friendly side, but we have to remember that there are also people behind these garments. There are also people behind this fabric. And there's also an economic argument that we need to make. And we need to remember that when we squeeze the FOB at one end, it could mean a huge effect on the other end of the supply chain. Something that kills me is in fashion, we talk about everything being so far away. So, you know, we think about garment workers and we think about their factories. And if we're in the UK, we're like, oh, you know, it's in Asia, it's in wherever it might be, it's not at home. And I think obviously we do have factories in the UK, but we always think about it being far away. And I think it takes away that human aspect that human element because we don't see it as being our issue and I think that's why this year when we saw boohoo.com had the issue with their factory in Leicester and some really sad things came to light that's when the UK was a bit like oh you know things do happen here we do have a part to play we are part of this industry but I think the human level often gets forgotten and often gets blown over because a lot of the time in the west it's not really our issue. So we've spoken about all of this in terms of what the farming actually is so we now understand how regenerative farming works we understand a little bit more about how it applies to the fashion industry and how Bombix is using it but something that I don't think that we've spoken enough about and we have touched on it but is about the actual farmers themselves and how they're benefited by this. What benefit is there for farmers to adopt these new practices? Like we said before, if they continue to do what they do the way that they've done it, it will eventually render the land useless and they won't be able to plant anything on the land. But before we get there, mm. before we get there, we also, if I'm honest, we, we, we had trouble convincing the farmers to follow our regenerative agriculture principles because their answers to us were so we came in you know we came in we told them okay this is what we want you to do it's going to be great it's going to be sustainable we're going to limit your your reliance on these chemicals you're going to spend less money all this stuff and their answer was but we've been doing it this way for so long this is just how it's done. That's the way that they were thinking. But what they didn't know, and it caught on very quickly, what they didn't know was with the rotational cropping and the intercropping, it allowed for the variable sources of income to reach their pockets and reach their livelihoods. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I was just up there and I saw one of our earliest farmers. I mean, he's built a mansion for himself. He used to have like a dirt shed, which was maybe one and a half levels before. And he's one of the first ones that started to work with us on this particular process. Because when we were designing this process, we didn't want to do it in a way that would detriment the income of the farmers. Because it just, honestly, it's like I said, we have to think about this holistically. We, we can't implement anything that might be a detriment to anything that already is. And so we found that the rotational cropping and, and the intercropping, that was the most immediate and the largest effect for our farmers. Because of this, and because the, the, the mulberry tree leaves, they grow healthier and bigger than they used to, which equals happier worms, which equals 
better silk. They make more money on the silk already, but with the intercrops that they're planting, they have that variable source of income and they make up to five times more than they used to make when they were just doing just plain old mulberry trees after you deduct all of the costs and so forth. I mean, one of the things that we had to do to convince the farmers was to subsidize all the materials that they needed to use in order to do it our way. We subsidized everything as long as they followed our protocols to the T and we guaranteed their output because we knew that if they were doing it this way, that their output would be good. It would be good product. It would be good silk. It would be a good income for them. And so as soon as the first group of farmers started to do it this way and they found that they started to make more money. I mean, you wouldn't believe how quickly word spreads on a farms. It spreads faster than high school, I promise you. Because <laughs> the 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 news of these farmers that were making more money spread like wildfire. And then everybody was like, hey, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. And for the farmers, I mean they, they lead fairly, I don't want to say simple lives, but you know, where they live is pretty, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's farmland. And so the money that they used to make, it had started to shrink to a point where they were deciding whether they should continue doing this, whether they should continue planting mulberry trees, whether they should consider making something else or whether they were thinking about retiring. Like maybe that was it for them because the way that the industry had said it, you know, silk was a material that sure was luxurious, but everybody wanted it at a lower and lower and lower and lower price. And so yeah. what that causes is these farmers to start to feel the pressure. It's like, okay, well, I used to sell you my cocoons and I used to sell you my product for this, but why, I mean, why are you, why are you dropping the price on me all of a sudden? We had agreed on this, but that's just because the next guy was getting pressure from the next level. And so we needed to figure out a way to mitigate that as well as help the land. And for us, rotational and intercropping, I mean, this thing was huge in the beginning stages. It was one of the most immediate effects of helping the farmers make more money, become happier. We've got a film where we interview one of our farmers and they talk about their experience working with us. It's online. Shannon will have a link to it. But yeah, I mean, that's 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 where we're at now. The innovation itself is just incredible, isn't it? And to see that it's being adopted by the farmers who have been doing things a very, very different way for a very long time and for them to see that there is a benefit in it. And yes, it is monetary, but there is also a benefit to the planet, to the actual process. And I guess it's all encompassing, isn't it? That they are now able to make money and do it in a more sustainable way and benefit the planet. And it's all just great. So, <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting topic. And as we said in the beginning, it comes from a very, very basic fundamental idea that you replenish what you've taken and you put back into the earth and you create it in a way that you're giving nutrients to whatever you're planting and what you're planting should then benefit another plant as well. So it's just, it's really, really interesting. So thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely fantastic. If we wanted to find you on social media, where would we go to? I believe our Instagram is bombix.silk, B-O-M-B-Y-X dot S-I-L-K. And then our website is bombixsilk.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Helen. Thank you. Thanks for your time. So we've come to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Sustainably Influence and make sure that you're following us and liking and subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.